And today, ladies and gentlemen, it's PlayStation's birthday. Happy oh. birthday, PlayStation. Um, we launched it in Japan on December 3rd. Why, you ask? Yes. Because the ad campaign could be one, two, three, four, because it's 1994. So how are you guys going to celebrate PlayStation's birthday? Well, um, I suppose they'll be doing something. Yeah, but um, the alums, you've got a huge fan crew. Like, Well, it's the 29th birthday. I expect there'll be something pretty big next year. It'll be 30 years okay. next year. So okay. in the next 12 months, we'll have to work on some sort of testimonial. You'll have to grow your ponytail back and the beard. <laughs> Welcome to Transpose, a podcast about understanding the rapid shifts in technology, business, and society. We explore key changes in what's new, what it all means, and where we're going. I'm Maximus, your AI-generated disembodied voice, here to introduce your favorite collection of innovators, futurists, and ne'er-do-wells, Ahuja, Justin Dabb, and Sean Layden. Let's get started. Carry on, you overpaid jackasses. So, is it fair to say that, as podcasters, we are legally obligated to do a year-end wrap-up show? Totally. Because exactly. everybody's That's... just waiting for our opinions on like, how this year went down. That's, um, that is an <laughs> obligation in the podcast culture, yes. I, uh, I'm going to propose a title for the podcast. Uh, uh, um... The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, uh, 2023. Okay. Uh, but there's got to be some more direct, uh, shameful reference to something. I don't know. What do you guys? Well, I actually, I was thinking about The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, but then I was like, it would be great if the last word wasn't ugly and it was like gnarly or weird or something. Oh, wait. Well, there you go. The Good, the Bad, and the Elon. <laughs> no, I don't want to give him any more like promo. I'm, yeah. Oh, no. This is not a promo coming from me. I'm going to throw that I out like, there. I like The Good, the Bad, and the Gnarly. That appeals to my <laughs> 70s uh, uh, uh Image, image of myself. I yeah. think that word is making a comeback. Gnarly. I'm not sure. It's not my word it's, of the year, but it should be. It's a surfer it's, word. It's time. Okay. <laughs> Let's make it happen. Let's make okay. the trend. The hard one is going to be the good. Um, no. So yesterday at around like two, I was just really feeling badly. I'm like, how can I not have any great things to point to in a year where clearly we've like a lot of good things have kind of come out of since 2020 and 2019 and 2021 and 2022. And then this flood of like different things just sort of like came to me and I was like, oh, okay, well, I could make that relevant to Justin's question. <laughs> it's not a direct answer, but, but I have some good things to point out. I would just like to say that. I think that we've made some positive steps in some areas and we've taken some steps backwards in some areas, but I've, I've, I have con. I have conviction that humanity might do well in 2024, especially if the word of the year is the word of the year, which we'll talk about. We should lead with positivity, I think. Just in general. So, Anju, how would you characterize 2023? Uh, oh, dude, that's so loaded. <laughs> it's like 12 p.m. Uh, okay. It's hard to be optimistic and have a lot of positive things to say, given the state of what's happening in the Middle East. So I'll just throw that out there. So all of that turmoil and the atrocities aside... Uh, I am impressed with the resilience of the consumer. I am impressed with the optimism that I see around me. I am impressed that several executives in the last two years who were CEOs that kind of guided their companies through COVID stepped down and had really good succession planning already in place and brought people up. I think that's good for the economy. I think that's good for us. Um, I think there were some lessons sort of shared as certain people passed. And I know we'll talk about that as part of this too. But 
I think 2023 was a year where everybody is kind of bracing themselves for what's going to come out of 2024, especially with the election. But there's also this bit of relief that the economy didn't fall out from underneath us. So I, I would say that's my take on it is geopolitical turmoil, which is not to be trivialized aside, there are some positive things that are structural that came out of 2023, in my opinion. And I think the Fed deserves more credit than they got. Fair enough. Fair enough. I think I would say that it was a year that I realized that I'm not sure I can judge what the limits are for anything anymore. Um, people's behaviors, good and bad, technologies, ability to like spring out of seemingly nowhere and and accelerate. Um, like, like you know, we really need to impose these limits. I think on ourselves. I mean, the like you were mentioning, like. I don't think there's a limit to how terrible people can behave either. Yeah. Um, uh, nor do I think, think there's a limit on how um, kind of selflessly people can behave as well. But, you know, my ability to predict um, what those limits are, I think is, is I just see it as limited now for myself. Those, that's the limit yeah. is me well, at this point. To your point, I took some level of, optimism out of the fact that Santos is going to get kicked out. Like that has been bothering oh, me he for is, the yes, longest he is time. Kicked out. He is kicked yeah. out, right? But yeah. for the longest time, we weren't even sure of that. And it's just like, what is happening? <laughs> this is just, it makes no sense. So yeah, I, I feel like some level of cognitive dissonance is going away and the world might develop greater alignment. So but we'll see. But you're right. There's We're in a no limit environment. At the same time, I think the last year has been kind of a reckoning for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I think in maybe 21, 22, we are still, you know, coming out of the pandemic. We are still blaming a lot of the current situation on the pandemic. You know, people mm -hmm. aren't seeing each other and people are on Zoom and that's why we're disconnected and social this, social that. I think this year has been kind of a, a stabilization of, of where we are and where we're going to go forward. I think um, in the economy, certainly. You know, we're going to talk maybe later on about the labor movement and how that's changed in 2023. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the huge number of layoffs in my sector, video gaming, you know, yeah. 7,000 plus jobs gone. Um, and how it's just, the chickens are coming home to roost, people. And we're seeing what, uh, what our systems of the past have ill-prepared us for, how seemingly government can't do anything anymore. It just can't seem to make any decisions whatsoever. Um and we see an industry now when money is not free, as it had been since, you know, since as long as I can remember, <laughs> um, people are are feeling what that what that's like, and um, the investment isn't coming back in to um, to tech into to, into the valley because of the cost of capital and you know trying yeah. to chase hits. And over here, uh, we started the year. <laughs> The year came in on a metaverse, and it's leaving on a chat GPT. <laughs> so, and we'll get to both of those things, I'm sure, in, in the rest of the podcast. Um, so it's a leveling. I see a leveling in 2023. Now we've all generalized. Uh, let's get down to some specifics. <laughs> so uh, I'm just going to take uh, these things uh, in order as they were presented, presented to you prior to the podcast. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure everyone's done their homework. Yes? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So uh, going against both of your positive senses of the world, I'm going to start with my uh, cynical uh, sense of the world. And That's so you, Justin. That's so you. Someone's got to do it. <laughs> and ask everybody to name the worst company in 2023. Uh, I think we're all going to agree on this one. 
so many oh. contenders. Oh, let's see. Okay, then do you then do you want to go if you think we're sure. all sure? I, I thought the tail end of Twitter as Twitter was was bad. I think X is by far even worse. Like I just I cannot fathom why I, it just doesn't need to exist anymore. And in fact, the fact that it exists is causing more negative outcomes than positive outcomes. So sorry, Elon, I think you got this one wrong. Yeah, at the start of the year, I would have said WeWork. Yep. <laughs> and now I tend to agree with you that um, I've never seen someone destroy so much value in such a short period of time. I mean, certainly, it can't be an accident. Yeah, but you'll be surprised. I don't have them as my worst company. Oh, who is your worst? By far, Meta. And I will tell you very specifically why. They knew 11-year-olds and younger were on Instagram. Uh, they didn't take the time to remove them, uh, but they did take the time to calculate the lifetime value of each of those kids. Yeah. Knowing full well there's a high correlation between depression and suicide in middle school age kids who are exposed to this. Um, I think Elon Musk, uh, you know, if people want to, you know, espouse really terrible things in public on X, so be it. This takes advantage of children, and I think it's unforgivable. I would tend to agree with you on that one, Justin. Yeah, I can't disagree <laughs> with any of that. That's fair. Yep. I mean, and, and this is the uh, umpteenth time that they've said, you know, we'll try to do better. That's, that's who I would vote. Um, I think you win. <laughs> All right, Elon, you've been saved. <laughs> No, he's not safe. I and think we can all agree goes on that. Too. Zuck. <laughs> no one gets a gold star in that category. All right. So on the positive side, the best company of 2023. You want me to go? Go. I couldn't come up with an answer for that one. Okay. So on balance, I would not say that it's a very large company, right? Which means that there are things about it that, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say are best in class, but there are things about it that I think have been progressive. I got to give Microsoft credit for the acquisition of Activision. I have to say that they actually have done some pretty interesting things in AI. I think that Satya Nadella played his hand properly with Sam Altman with the implosion of OpenAI, and that's the first time I've seen how he's had to move, you know, in a in a like a firestorm over a weekend. It was amazing the amount of just decision making and the pace at which it happened. I mean, he didn't get him in the end, but I don't know. I feel like I feel like Microsoft is going to do some interesting things. I think they've been counted down for a long time, and it's all been about Apple. But you know, we may see some new interesting product leadership come out of there. So so agreed on on Satya Nadella. I think he's brilliant. Um, the, the funny thing though is if he had actually gotten, basically hired all the employees from OpenAI, like it would have been the dog who caught the bumper. Um, like suddenly th there are people working at OpenAI who make $5 million a year. And so like you bring those people into Microsoft where there are, you know, specific pay tiers and, you know, somebody who's making half a million dollars a year turns around to someone who really isn't any more talented than they are. Um, but he had promised pay matching. Um, that would have been a disaster. I don't know Microsoft. that he could have done it with the legal structure that they are. You know, Microsoft can't go own a nonprofit, so they'd have to go figure some. And they they can have subsidiaries. No, no, no. He wasn't going to own the nonprofit. He Just bring talent on board. He said, yeah. if everybody, anybody who resigns, yeah, um, I will pay match. But that wouldn't work unless Altman left, right? So Altman no, no, no. Got the it, was, it was it was all yeah. contingent on yeah. Altman coming yeah. to Microsoft. And um, but like I like I said, I think you know, had this really imploded, you know, I think that was it would have been a, a decent 
Yeah. You know, advantage for Microsoft. I mean, I, I have to say that's the most exciting 48 hour poker hand I've ever watched played out in corporate America in 2023. Like it was just, yeah, yeah. it was riveting. We were all talking about it from the moment the news broke on Friday and we were at an offsite drinking wine um, because that's what we do at offsites. Um, and then, you know, this was the top of the conversation for the rest of the night and going yeah. into the weekend, everybody was still talking about it until Wednesday, right? So it, it's impressive. Well, well, I picked a different company again, um, and I stuck with my social, you know, uh, impact kind of lens, and I, I just picked Patagonia. Um, okay, fair. You know, it's a social benefit corporation, which is not a perfect solution. I mean, let, let's be clear. Like, you know, it, if you believe all the press, you think that you know the the, the owners will never make another dime off this, and that they're going to be fine. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's be clear; they're going to be fine. Um, uh, but, you know, it's not perfect, but it's a good start. Uh, I just, you know, all things considered, you know, at price parity, I think it's a good reason for someone to pick that brand. Well, I think they have good products also. And I thought he set up a foundation, moved a bunch of cash into it, and his kids are employed there. So, yeah, they're more than fine. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> I, I agree with you. I think it's time that we start thinking about the impact of our businesses on the world around us. You know, I think it's funny that people get all angry, too, like, like uh, you know, far right um, you know, pundits get angry about this. I'm like, that's capitalism. They just made a choice. Why are Ooh. you angry about it? It's funny. Capitalism is is really great unless someone else exercises their <laughs> their right under the free market, and then they get all mad. Yep. Same can yeah. be said for free speech. Oh, totally. It's like Walmart boycotting Twitter. <laughs> that was the so. Wait, was hey, let's place a bet. Do you think Disney ever goes back to advertising on X? Ever? No, no. Well, they won't. It won't be a problem for them. It won't be a decision because X is just going to implode. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how long it's going to take. Um, but so I have a really cynical take on what might be going on, and I don't know that this is true, and I would have no way of knowing. But what if he really is just trying to let the company sort of implode so he can take the platform and do what he originally wanted to do around X he and payments that and something now. else? That's I see. This is uh, you know. I but think he'd have is, to wipe out the entire talent pool. It's not the right talent pool to build. Maybe what he, he wants to build on the platform. Well, why wouldn't he just do that? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, this is a pretty cruel way to go about that. Okay. He can do anything he wants with this company. This this narrative that is giving him an out. Um, like, well, maybe he intends to be. No, you're right. Maybe the worst manager I've ever seen. Um, and I have to just say, no, he's just not a good manager. Uh, I will give Elon Musk uh, credit as a product manager. Like, he, you know, like, you know, a very high level. He doesn't really make anything. <laughs> but, you know, um, he, he argues for simple design, which scales well and performs yep. well. And But he's just a terrible person and a terrible manager of people. Well, on the positive side, I'll give a shout out to Mark Cuban because I love what he's doing with um, commoditizing, you know, pharmaceuticals and and getting um, economies of scale around purchasing and that. Because having lived in Europe and lived in Japan, it's still stunning to me how much we pay for drugs in America. So, do you think Cuban runs for president? I don't think that's his jam. What do you think he does post Shark Tank? Keeps making money. He just keeps making money. Or, or uh, as the afore uh, referenced Scrooge McDuck. Uh, just rolls around in the money he's made already. You know, a little backstroke, a little breaststroke, just swimming around in the money. Well, he's got the Mavericks to the NBA Finals first. He's got to get that done. Yes. All right, which rolls us perfectly into our next topic, the most heartwarming business story of the year. Heart, heartwarming business stories, I have none. 
Uh, well, you'll, you can jump on mine because I think you'll agree. Okay, I'll, um, I'll come on the back end. Sorry. So I, I think the new contract for the writers and actors unions was pretty heartwarming. I mean, yeah. as um, again, not perfect, but the way that these two kind of collective entities were being treated in the age of streaming was pretty unfair uh, as far as royalties went. Um, I don't think anybody's still going to get as wealthy as maybe they, they should. And uh, But then again, neither are the streaming companies now. Um, but so that was mine. Uh, the, well, I think you're right. Certainly the, the movement of labor with the, um, the strikes in Hollywood and strikes in Detroit, you know, yep. they got the automakers to come to the table um, because labor now has a little bit of leverage again. And, you know, we lived in a world back in the 60s and 70s where something like two thirds of employed people were in some kind of union or some kind of labor organization. Now it's probably less than 10%. Um, I think the collective bargaining power of labor is important. I think you're going to see that effect spill off from Hollywood and into the gaming sector. You know, the raft of, um, uh, you know, 7,000 plus layoffs this year are causing questions to be asked inside gaming because at the same time, you also hear other companies saying, it's our biggest gaming year ever. <laughs> We've sold yeah. X billions of dollars a year. And at the same time, you're laying off, you know, hundreds or large percentages of staff. So that imbalance, I think, is going to have to right itself. I think that um, uh, the the fairness of the equities being shared in gaming is is lopsided. And um, with the increase of the power of labor, perhaps unionization in gaming, and certainly a change of the entire business model, I think, is on the horizon in video gaming. And the power of the platform and the power of the large publishers, I think, will be diminished with time. I think you see groups like Embracer out of Scandinavia who bought like 50 or 60 studios are now crushing themselves under the weight of all of that. I think it was <laughs> yeah. great that Activision bought was bought by Microsoft. I could not see what the anti-monopolistic chatter around that was. That's up to them. They want to spend $70 billion on buying um, Activision. Go right at it. But now we're going to see that um, integration is 10 times harder than acquisition. Oh, that's totally true. And that's this is where the heavy lift begins in the, uh, in the Microsoft Activision world. All right. So Anju, Anju, your most heartwarming business story. You know, so this is heartwarming in a loose way. Uh, you guys probably know Charlie Munger passed away last yep. week, right? Oh. So he was interviewed and it was a, just a short snippet of what he said. And, and, and I mean, if, if you've been following Berkshire Hathaway at all, he, he's always imparted a little bit of wisdom, right? Where he can about how to live, not just how to make money and how to invest well. Uh, but he made this comment about if he had one regret at 99, his biggest regret was that he couldn't catch a 200 pound tuna like he might have at the age of 96 when he felt so much younger and healthier. And all I could think was, wow, that's like really having age and was in perspective. And I thought that's a good life, right? If you can like look back and say, my biggest regret is that I'm getting old. And then, you know, one day I'm not going to be able to do the things that I did when I was younger. And so I thought it was sort of an interesting cautionary tale. And he's so modest, was so modest. So um, I, I would say I took something out of that. And, you know, I hope some of the other leaders that are out there that have driven a lot of value creation in our world, not just in the context of the economy, take some time to also document what it is that they've learned about how to live well and what they think they can teach the next generation. Because I think with all of this new, just the, the exploits that we see on social media, there's a lot of distraction from, you know, some people have a really codified sense of like how to live a good life. And some of that wisdom needs to come back into the narrative of how we live. Fair enough. Um, so from heartwarming, we're going to rock the seesaw one more time here. The most terrifying business story of 2023. Okay, I can jump on that one. Um, 
so go for it. I, I want to say my initial thought was, okay, what did the board at OpenAI really know and why don't we know it yet and why hasn't it leaked? But then I thought about something that I think is a little more treacherous in the long run. Um, the fact that people are taking drugs like, I think it's pronounced Ozempic, the, the weight loss drug, that they're taking it for vanity, that they're taking it instead of fixing their lifestyle, that they're getting it from like a variety of shady people across the border in Canada and Mexico. And they think this is a normal sort of like, you know, it's like your skincare regimen. It's that's, that's not what this is. Like I was getting my hair cut as you know, that happened last week. Yep. And the guy sitting next to me who, you know, reasonably fit, right? Not rail thin, but you know, middle-aged dude in his fifties, like looked totally normal. He's talking to his hairstylist about how he's taking the, you know, getting the shot in his belly. And she just casually asked, okay, you know, what are your, what are your side effects? But I said, it's not that bad. You know, when I went on vacation to Japan, I really wanted to eat. So I just decided I'd go off it for a week. And, you know, it goes on talks about like how he dials it down sometimes and dials it back up based on his lifestyle. Oh and so she asked, okay, well, how long are you planning on taking this? And he's like, well, for the rest of my life, unless I change my habits. I was like, dude, you just got a habit. <laughs> like, this just makes yeah. no sense. Well, well, and, what, you know, and he made the, this comment that 30% of the women in the place that I live um, are on it because they need to keep up. And I just thought, if this is a new face left, like, people, this is yeah. way more damaging for your body potentially. And yeah, it, like the rest of your life is a lot less time than it was before you yeah. started taking it every day. I mean, it's it's mind boggling to me. There are people, mothers that are running around saying, oh, I forgot to eat today because I'm taking this drug and I've been running around after my kid. Nothing about that is healthy. So yeah, I don't know. That's, I think that's, it's terrifying that we're kind of, it's terrifying to hear Scott Galloway say, oh, this is the greatest thing for the economy because, you know, snack foods are out. People are going to live longer. They're going to be healthier. I'm like, no, this is, mm. this is not the way to change your lifestyle. Isn't that what Valley of the Dolls is all about? Taking diet pills? Yeah, it's yes. like Fenfen returned in, in the form of a... <laughs> yeah. Now, I understand the value for people that maybe are obese and have tried all the other methods of Or lifestyle. diabetes, which is what it's for, or right? Right. Yeah. So, so if you have a condition, I completely understand the use of this drug, which is why I'm really separating it from... If you're doing it just so you can lose 20 pounds and keep it off, that's not okay. And that's not the example we should be setting for kids. See, this is where you took over the social good side of this question. I'm going for the capitalist side. What I, I found most terrifying was the um, the near instantaneous collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic. Oh, I was going to um, get there on institutional failures. Fine. Okay. So, so well, I think actually institutionally, the that potential collapse of basically every regional bank yep. um, was on the table. I thought, you know, the government actually stepped in and did a pretty good job. Um, so I think, I, I think the failure, you know, was really, I don't know, maybe it's institutional failures, but it's just the fact that a very small group of people could potentially collapse a good portion of the banking system on a whim. Um, we have instant withdrawals, right? And we've got, <laughs> you used to have to go to get in line is my point. And you could lock the door and there was, um, you know, the, it's a wonderful life side of that that it just is not there anymore. Um, well, and the accelerant that is social media makes yeah. that possible, right? Yeah. If Peter Thiel hadn't tweeted, you know, tweeted out his thoughts on uh, SVB, then that wouldn't have started. That was just ignited a fire. And most people who saw his tweet didn't bother trying to get to the details of it. They just thought, Peter Thiel's running. We better run too. Yeah. And, um, within 16 hours, boom. 
I don't think that the government should have to step in for a problem like this because it was a problem of management and bad judgment. But I also think there's some roots in this back to Glass-Steagall. And mm -hmm. we might really have to rethink how the banking system actually operates in the United States and whether or not the small banks have a role to play and what that role is versus the large banks and how they should all be regulated. So the finance Perhaps sector. we can decentralize the currency systems by creating <laughs> an alternative digital-based currency. Yes. Call it Crap, 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 crypto. Uh, I, I heard Zhao is looking for a new job. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. Uh, is it is that getting into your answer to this question, Sean, or should we jump into the next? Most My answer to the most on? heartwarming business story isn't really business story per se. We're in terrifying business story already. Maybe it's you, missed for you. <laughs> you missed heartwarming. I'm, I'm three exits behind you guys on the freeway here. So I'm, I'm just getting the signs. But you, you're the bringing other. in the wisdom, and that that's what matters. But it's terrifying and heartwarming at the same time. Oh, good. Well, that's impressive. It's terrifying to know that there's something like 10 or 15 million uh, piping systems in America that, that put lead in your water. Oh, yeah. There's still over 10 million lead pipes throughout systems throughout, throughout the country. And that's terrifying. Uh, the heartwarming thing, of course, is, you know, we all got excited about infrastructure as a nation, finally. And the government came together to pass an you know, infrastructure act and coming out to attack these sorts of things. I, I believe in the role of government in saving ourselves from, from terrible outcomes, which is why I'm so upset where we see more and more people fighting to reduce the regulatory agency of government. Right. And um, the lawsuits that are against that, the forces that are behind that. I do think there, there's a role for the government to keep us from destroying ourselves. And uh, uh, whether that's through lead in the water or whether it's through you know clean air, or OSHA, or making me wear seatbelts, you know, it's that positive. All right, so we've gone from terrifying to a new emotion, uh, shock. So what's the most shocking scandal of 2023? And I'm narrowing this into like tech and business and things like that. I, you know, I don't need to, need to know about um, Harry and Meghan or anything like that. <laughs> you know, I would have to say it was steadily watching SBF's parents and the fact that they are either seriously delusional about their son's innocence or were delusional or they are culpable, but they're not stupid and they're not greedy. So just watching, you know, as everything played out with SBF's trial, how they handled it, how they seemed to look shocked at the end as attorneys, you know, when the judgment came in and it's just like, what planet have they been on? And, I hate to say it, but I'm kind of leaning towards a, they probably are culpable, right? They probably have participated in committing crimes and they might've been delusional to get to the point to do that, but something is <clears throat> wrong with that whole sort of system. And, and the fact that the brother wasn't there gave me some hope that maybe the brother's not part of all of this. Cause you hate to see a whole <laughs> nuclear family go down. Right? I mean, it's just like, this is like yeah. the Titanic of disasters. So that, that would be my, my answer. What I was shocked by was not so much in the business or tech world was the idea that the um, the Pacific Athletic Conference, the Pac-10, could have all of its members flee to different conferences throughout the country, some going to the Big Ten, some going to uh, the SEC, and all of a sudden there's only Oregon and Washington left in the Pac-10. I don't know how that happened. I don't, know if that, I don't know if that's right, You know whether this should be allowed anyway. Um, I think there's some issues about how does the money get divvied up and 
Um, so, it just goes to show that the veneer on college sports as being an amateur athletic endeavor, that's gone. Oh, I, I didn't think it it's, was still even kind of around. So, did they finally are they finally getting paid for their images? Did that happen like three yes. years ago? Okay, right. so what triggered the mass exodus this time or the reshuffling of the chairs? TV money. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So, so all right, so I don't have the Pac-10, and, and surprisingly, I'm not putting FTX in my anywhere in my almost shocking scandal, um, but stay tuned for them as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I learned a new stat this week. So... Probably in 2018, I wrote a Medium article about on how much energy it takes to to facilitate a Bitcoin uh, transaction, and it's staggering. Oh yeah. But what I what I didn't realize is that today each Bitcoin transaction uses 4,200 gallons of water mm -hmm. uh, cooling mm -hmm. uh, in data centers. Mm -hmm. um, that's enough to fill a swimming pool, and and mm -hmm. you know, and in where you find these data centers are usually places that don't have a lot of fresh water to begin with at least to drink, you know, like California or even in the Pacific Northwest is becoming mm -hmm. issues. The water and power used in the maintenance of Bitcoin servers is to me the most shocking scandal. I'm to the point where I'm like the positives for this are, you know, are outweighed by the negatives. It doesn't sound sustainable. No. All right. So we talked about shocking scandals. Uh, we're, we really have the gamut of emotions and, and qualifying terms today. So the most salacious tech story of the year. Uh, I'll, I'll start with this one because this, this, is, where I did, this mm. is where I did put FTX. Um, okay. um, you know, but I have to say I wasn't shocked to find that the crypto bro who played video games on his phone while being interviewed by, by Forbes um, wasn't quite the serious altruist he claimed to be. Uh, but but I think what what came out really was salacious and the behaviors that they were talking about. And I think we can all agree that maybe that uh, a note for investors in the future is that um, when an executive uh, remedies his conflicts of interest by putting his living girlfriend as the CEO of the uh, conflict, per se, uh, you may want to direct your investment funds elsewhere. I think they all were enamored of him. Like, you know, they were also in the delusional. He made so many, it's like, if you attach wealth to someone, suddenly they have power and they appear more important than maybe they actually are. And I think that keeps a lot of the press from digging deeper, not just the press, but people, right? They want to be around people with power and they don't really want to interrogate where did that power come from? And is it power that I believe in? And is it power they want to be aligned with? And I think it's a hard fact about humans. Like they're just easily seduced. And again, I think for Salacious, uh, Twitter wins again for 2023. <laughs> that is fair. And, yeah. and everything that, um, not only how they're managing the platform, but the kind of stuff that the, uh, the owner is posting up and putting himself aligned against and getting upset about certain things and telling major media empires to go yeah. F off. Oh, um, and I'll throw out there his response to, are you an anti-Semite? The, the easy right. answer, I mean, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if he doesn't have PR people, I'm sure, but the answer to that is, should be no. Yeah. Mine is related to, to X. And I'm, I'm guilty of participating in the, oh my God, let's watch this train wreck in slow motion. Can it really be that bad? And can it really crash? It was Linda Yaccarina's code interview. I yeah. was reading about how awful it was and how like she made all of the mistakes that you're never supposed to make when you speak publicly. I'm like, come on, you guys are giving her a hard time, right? And I kind of felt like she was probably getting dumped on just because she's in the Elon camp, right? And then I went and watched the interview and 
I felt so badly for everybody that had anything to do with that experience, including <laughs> me for having watched it. I mean, it's just, it was, it was, if we will all be the dumber. Yeah, did you, it. did you guys watch it? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I saw clips. Oh, it's riveting. It's just riveting because you're like, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Oh my God, you did it. No. Okay. Stop right there. Just like, you know, get up and leave. Right. Or just say change. Just well, I, it, she did. She ultimately, just, right? Yeah. But she dug she her did. heels in on so many things. And well, the problem, the big problem was, she was not aware of all the stuff he had said and all the things he promised. Well, and, and all, she wasn't you know, aware like, of who was on stage earlier, but you know, you, you, you don't sit there and negotiate, you know, with your seat or just back him up on condition. You change, you deflect, you change, you pivot, you have talking points, you get prepped, right? That's why you have talking points. It's to not let somebody else drive the narrative, especially Kara Swisher who already had it in, not to say that she shouldn't for Elon. So, um, I don't know. The whole thing was just, it was spectacular and really sad because, you know, Linda Yaccarino is not an idiot. Why would you get on stage and speak right. anyway? Right. I mean, I was at the Wall Street Journal Digital Conference in 2015, it was, when Elizabeth Holmes got on stage the same week that the Carrie yeah. story came out. And um, a friend of mine asked me, would your general counsel let you go on stage like that? <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> no. My lawyers wouldn't let me get anywhere near something like that yeah, if I had it, that. I mean, I'm so. first of all, I'm stunned that they don't have, um, what do you call the disaster, crisis management, that they don't have crisis management counselors and that they haven't had them in place for the whole year since like this is all been. Well, they did fire 70% yeah. of their employees. Yeah, but you right? hire, these are outsiders that you bring in to say, advise me on how to position myself. They still cost money. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> right. And you still have to have somebody in the house to make yeah. the call to the outsider. I mean, <laughs> if she's going to stay, which again, we'll get to this later, she should really she should amend her contract and get some resources for that because she's going to need it. That was just, okay. Anyway, moving on. I don't want to celebrate somebody's disaster, but that was just, yeah, that was the most salacious set of stories that came out over that interview. All right. We talked about it earlier and it is finally time to talk about the word of the year. Which of course, Miriam Webster in the age of generative AI has landed on the word authentic. Um, which fine. I mean, like, <laughs> it's interesting. Like, what does it really mean anymore? That's a, that's another question. Uh, um, well, it's a positive spin based on their word from last year, which is gaslighting. <laughs> so I, authentic yeah. should be an improvement yeah, on that they scale. They have the same seesaw that I do. <laughs> so I, I didn't understand if authentic in this context meant authentic as in, oh, be your genuine self that you tell like your first grader, or is it more like authentic, this is not fake news, which is really scary too. Like, or I, just what do we mean fake, by authentic? Uh, human created, I think in this So case, not, not AI. Correct. <laughs> not AI. Yes. I think is probably what the impetus for the word authentic was in there. there there's definitely a uh, um, an explicit reference to AI in the reasons that they chose that for the word of the year. But you can't be truly authentic until you can fake sincerity. <laughs> <laughs> because that, that proves your authenticity right. right there. So, so if we pick our own words, uh, you your word of the year uh, is what? I really struggled with this. Um, one, because I like a lot of words. And two, I like a lot of words that have nothing to do with our show. Um, I like revitalize. And, and uh, I'll go back to a story. So I was abroad at a very small island off of Tahiti in French Polynesia. And that island purely survives on tourist dollars. And there were three resorts on that island, three major international resorts. One of them shut down so they could save resorts in other parts of their portfolio on other islands. And, you know, I was 
you could tell inflation had taken hold. You could tell things were more expensive. It, you know, you couldn't get the same quality of food at the same price point, but they were trying not to raise prices so they could draw people to come back. And I got to hand it to the locals. For people that went through a lockdown that were told, don't leave your house, don't go to the ocean, don't do this, don't do that. There was just a lot that they could have walked away with and they could have felt resentment, right? They could have felt spitefulness. They were just happy, cheerful. They're like, yeah, we made it work. You know, we're like, let's let's enjoy our island. Let's go out and do things. Nobody else is coming around. We'll just like have fun ourselves. We'll go fish for our food. I was I was really stunned. And then I saw how they were reinvesting in their tourism infrastructure so that they could be bigger and better without being bigger necessarily. That that was exciting. And and the other part of this is when I went to this place five years ago they were rehabilitating the reef. And it's one of the few sort of like robust reef systems. And it was so much better now, five years later. There were new varieties of fish, big fish. The coral was vibrant. So that gave me a lot of hope. So revitalize is my word of the year. John. The word of the year, initiatification. <laughs> and okay, I'm going to throw this out there. I'm a huge Cory Doctorow fan, so okay. this is not a new word for me. But I think I agree with you where you're going here. Go ahead. So yes, so it was coined by uh, the aforementioned Cory Doctorow in an in a Wired article that ran in January of 2023. So I think it's even more appropriate that we choose a word of the year which is actually born this year. And I'll just read the first paragraph from from Cory. Please do from Corey's piece from Wired, which really sums it all up. And the, 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 the synonym or the quick explanation of what does initiatification mean is platform decay. Yeah. And how he defines it is, here is how platforms die. First, they're good to their users. Then they abuse their users to make things even better for their business customers. Finally, they abuse those business customers to claw back all the value for themselves. Then they die. And Sounds that, familiar. <laughs> have, have any of you experienced? Have you experienced initiation in your life? In your uh, uh, in your experience, I'm, I'm witnessing it right now. <laughs> but but it really is. It's, it's this idea. We talk about the network effect, right? That's how platforms grow. Is you just get more people attached to it. Like you're on Facebook. I'm on Facebook. So you know our friends are there. So. They lost lead. They charge us nothing. They bring all this value. We all get into the into the network, and then they take the value that we unconsciously gave them, which is our names, our data, our meta, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Then they sell that to advertisers who want to talk to us, and the advertisers they lost lead with them, so they don't go to other platforms. They use this particular platform. They come in. So once you have the customers and the vendors or the advertisers together in that space then you start to extract all the value out of it for yourself. You know, you don't care if the quality drops because to get you to leave a platform is huge, right? Because yeah. the reason you're there is you have hundreds of friends and unlikely you can snap your fingers, get your hundreds of friends to follow you wherever you go. We see that happening today with people trying to flee X or Twitter. I won't call it X anymore. Trying to flee Twitter to other places, whether it be Mastodon or Blue Sky or Spoutable, but they just can't achieve critical mass. Yeah, it's kind of dispersing all of that out there. So like it or not, many, myself included, still sit on Twitter because that just happens to have the biggest ballroom of people. But initiatification means you're driving your, your, your initial phase. You get the users in, you get the advertisers in, you lost lead to make it attractive for both. 
and then you hike prices, reduce quality, reduce cost structure against it, and just it's a value extraction, and then it dies. You know, hello MySpace. You know, we've seen this in the past. So well, with your AOL or MySpace or others, this has happened before. And thank you, Corey, in January of 2023 in Wired Magazine, coining the term initiatification, my candidate for word of the year. Fair enough. Well, my word is somewhat inspired by what I learned about Bitcoin, but um, my word of the year is climate. And honestly, I think oh. it should be the word of every year until we figure out how to get our collective heads out of our collective asses. Fabulous. But why climate? Why now? Uh, my point is it should be the word of the year every year. It should have That's been the why. word of the right. year for the last yeah. 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I, we, we're, in, you know, increasingly just like, you know, we took our hands off the wheel and we're like, man, what's going to happen? You know? <laughs> All right. So uh, the seesaw has kicked us back into the positive uh, territory. What is the most promising technology story from 2023? I don't have the details around this, but I'm always interested in advances in battery technology. Mm. Yep. You know, we see some some work on hydrogen batteries, which are, are getting, you know, uh, better yep. uplift, better scalability. I think, um, you know, everything in our world is touched by a battery in some way or another. And we need more innovation against that. I'm glad to see Toyota is doing some incredible work in, in the hydrogen field. Oh, well, and, and that they're, uh, they have exciting. found some massive... Uh, is it type one hydrogen? Is that what they call it? When it's like, you can just right. use it to make fuel as it comes out of the ground. They found huge reserves in France of this, of hydrogen. So um, like, like, you know, a hundred years worth of hydrogen. Oh God, that's just, the French will be more insufferable. <laughs> than that. I, don't, I don't think that's possible. Other, otherly <laughs> insufferable, maybe. Um, so I, mine is a little bit like yours, um, but uh, for the second time, uh, scientists at the Lawrence Livermore lab have yielded positive energy from a fusion reaction um, twice this year, you know, two first times ever. Um, you know, if you'd asked me last year, uh, I would have just said, yeah, at, you know, fusion 50 years out forever. Um, but that's a big deal. To me, that's a big deal. Um, so that to me is the most promising tech story of 2023. All right, so mine is more about an application of a technology or an application of technologies. And I think it's going to eventually become a philosophical way of building things and it's digital twinning. I actually think there's a lot to be learned from digital twinning. There's a lot of efficiencies to be gained, but I also think it'll avoid a lot of disastrous and calamitous application of talent and capital where it doesn't belong. So I'm pretty excited about you know what the promise of that is. That's that's totally fair. The big issue with that is w defining what that means. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's it why I call it. Depends on what circles you're yeah. in. Yeah. Uh, and some and some people like think, oh, I've you know, again, back in my real estate tech year, <laughs> you know, whether that meant an actual 3D model of this building with all yep. the systems mapped out, or the spreadsheet of the data, right? Just like that, someone could manipulate. So um, I I think of it as a high fidelity high velocity simulator of yeah. a very complex set of systems that have to interact yeah. together and, you know, resources that come in and resources that go out. Um, do you remember that game that we played in business school, the capstone thing Yeah, where we simulated, you know, the outcome of our company and we decided to shrink and get better at products as opposed to get yes. bigger. And, and yes. we did really well in the end, we had the best ratios. So, but I think if you, if you apply the philosophy of twinning and you apply the philosophy of simulating outcomes, 
that leads to more sophisticated thinking and it leads to much more prudence around how you allocate resources. But yes. All right. All right. So those are all positive. But what is the most overhyped technology of 2023? Sean, go. I think it's still all this energy around, around decentralized finance and crypto and blockchains and NFTs and whatever you want to call it. It's so much energy chasing around a technology or a concept which doesn't really solve many problems, if it solves any. Um, and it just creates more ways to you know, s- circumvent the field. If you look at Binance, what happened with them and how it turns out that so much of the Binance energy was around sending money to otherwise um, you know, restricted mm-hmm. territories. <laughs> Let's call it money world. laundering or, or yeah. illegal yeah, okay. fund transfers. Yeah. yeah. Let's 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 call our lawyers to make sure we can say that out loud. <laughs> no, but you're right. You're right. It's it's definitely been. It was part of the part of the settlement. I mean, they disclosed that they had transferred money to areas that were sanctioned, that were you, know, you were yeah. not allowed, and they violated all their KYC rules. I mean, not all, but enough, yeah. right? And it's. I have another comment about that in a later section about Binance, but yes, um, yeah. So I'll piggyback off that, Sean. I uh, and this is going to mm-hmm. make Anju mad probably, but Web three. No, I'm yeah. kind of with you. It I does scale. Yeah. The benefits don't outweigh yeah. the cost. And I haven't seen anything inspirational out of any of these discussions. I see companies no. who are who are basically in the, hey, the dog can dance territory. Like, look, we can do a Web3 company. And it totally sounds to me like I'm going to make an internet company, you know, in like in 1999. So I wanted to believe it was the next generation of the internet. And the more we look at technologies like generative AI and how they impact how we actually do things and digital twinning, the more I think it's less about decentralization and using those tools. And the more it is about birthing new applications and new services and new ways of doing something that we did before in a different way, not just using decentralized tools. But um, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think I was overly optimistic about the promise of Web3. Well, I and that was from 2022. A, so yeah, and I have a I have a um uh, the 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 other side of that coin listed on mine as well, like that they're 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 twins, and that's the metaverse. <laughs> I mean, and I I'm not really talking about extended reality or any of that type of technology, but this concept that there's this single communal piece of digital real estate uh, that has a sustainable communal experience somehow maintained independently of its funding players to me seems totally naive. Yeah, um, I, I would agree with that. I definitely am long XR though. I think extended reality has a huge future and I think augmented totally. reality will be there, but I don't think of it as one recreational address where we all have to hang out. I, I do think the ubiquity of XR is at the nearest term, five years out and more likely 10. Yeah, um, but we have to invest have, in the infrastructure to even get there. Like there's, there's a lot I mean, of I, I'm just talking about like, having, you know, a small enough set of glasses on my head, yep. um, you know, and having kind of light field projectors, you know, or something, um, or even, you know, like very tiny, you know, uh, laser in a mirror that is just projecting onto my retinas, you know, something that is, you know, small and portable and, you know, I can wear for 20 hours a day without recharging it or whatever. I just don't see that on the horizon uh, anywhere near term. You know, you see a pitch for anyone's project now, it starts with a Web3 page because they think that's what it takes to get through to the money people. Um, yeah. I guess there's always going to be something that sits in that 
that blank spot on people's decks. Last year it was metaverse. And well, honestly, I, a strong contender for me in the overhyped category was generative AI for the sake of generative AI, as opposed to generative AI being mm -hmm. incorporated into other tools and technologies oh, sure. and, sure. and that I being totally the next agree. layer of the internet. So I, I, I struggled with keeping that one off, but I, I think it's still early days in how we apply it, which gets back to, again, it's how you apply it, not the thing itself. Uh, so we've gotten to the saddest portion of our of our predictions. <laughs> no, no. Uh, uh, in memoriam. So uh, who, who would like to talk? I'd be happy to start this one because there's someone who died in 2023 that I think had a massive impact on my creativity and my career. And that's John Warnock from oh. Adobe. Oh, yeah. Um, I forgot he passed away this year. So, I mean, you know, while he was at Xerox Park, he basically invented postscript he invented you know the uh um basically display postscript so we can have WYSIWYG. yeah uh he at xerox park basically envisioned the pdf architecture as well um and basically all of modern digital typography was kind of the way we do it now was designed by john warnock and so you know i got my first copy of adobe illustrator in 1987 uh, I won't tell you how I got my first copy of <laughs> Adobe Illustrator. See, my first fear is going to come true. We're going to get sued. So keep um, going. No, but I'll, I will say that I used it on a Mac Plus in our uh, in the university computer lab. Okay. Um, and uh, but then, of course, Photoshop 1.0 came along, and I was working in an ad agency and was able to suddenly do. You know, granted, it took forever, but I was able to do like pretty amazing compositing work that we would prior to that had to send out to, you know, uh, a composite artist to do with film mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. um, but, and just kept going forward. Right. I mean, when they bought Macromedia and then really kind of enhanced flash and, um, just, just in general, like my career was kind of enhanced every time that that company kind of went to a new area. Um, so, so that's, that's mine is John Warnock. You know, it's interesting when you say that, I, I have to reflect on where Adobe is now. And I think it's a company with too many products trying to do too many things. And it's kind of like lost its most lovable product way. Fair enough. Yeah. But I, yeah, he is a legend. Okay, I can go because it's someone who made a big impression upon me. Um, Sandra Day O'Connor, you know, and, and I think not just because she was the first woman Supreme Court justice, or she was, you know, moderately centrist and was able to be a swing vote and an effective swing vote when it came down to it. But I think she had real grace, you know, her husband had Alzheimer's for like 20 years. Yep. And, you yep. know, she spent the time to like talk about what that meant. She didn't hide it. And, and this is in an era where a lot of women hid their personal lives behind a facade, right? Where they felt that if you were a professional, no one wanted to hear about what happened behind closed doors. You know, she was, she was witty when she was interviewed yep. often. And, you know, I, I had written all of this down, or I'd thought about a lot of this before Biden actually did his tribute to her yesterday, but it warmed my heart that somebody gave her a tribute. And what I will say is really frightening about this is, you know, she, she lived a long and I hope for her sake, a very fulfilling life and her family's sake. I worry that she's the beginning of the death of the Supreme Court as like a source of justice by any means that it's just like one of those signs that it's like the slow unraveling of what used to be something we could all count on and held in the highest regards is now just like a cesspool of, you know, poor decision-making corruption, you know, just it's vile. So yeah, that's my opinion. For me, it was Burt Bacharach. Oh, very nice. Who's that? Wait, wait, great wait, 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 wait. <laughs> oh no. Did you just say who's Burt Bacharach? Yeah. Who is that? 
uh, one of the you, most prolific composers it. of the 20th century. What? Come on. All right. Give me examples. Every song Dionne yeah. Warwick sung. Just Google. <laughs> Just Google Burt Backrack catalog right now. I thought it was while Rick we're on Rubin the who was. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Okay. Hold on. You're, you're a generation off. Yeah. He was making movie music in the fifties, um, and like and, one of the best, one relevant. of the best Elvis Costello albums is where he, absolutely, you know, partnered with Bert, Bert Backrack, and Bert oh, Backrack yeah. got the best vocal performances out of Elvis Costello he's ever performed. I totally agree, and Hal David was an inspired yeah. lyricist, and I think between the two of them, the whole Dionne Warwick songbook is basically Bert Backrack and Hal David. Wow, for this prolific. And he was making music right up to the very end. So Good life. He was inspiring. And now, uh, Sean, you and I have released him into Anju's uh, mental space. <laughs> yes. Go be to Spotify. And, <laughs> I, I, will, um, I will indulge in my drive this afternoon. Thank you. It's, it's good to know who's behind the scenes if you don't know. Dion. like you know, Yeah. That's, that's actually, <laughs> I appreciated learning that because I would never have known who he was. So thank you. Uh, so, so the reason I was just laughing right now had nothing to do with Burt Backrack. I realized that we have just after the "Who Died" section is the best comeback story. <laughs> I was going to yeah, make a joke. Yes. I was going to make a joke. All right. <laughs> All right. I'm I'm going to go. I'm going to go at least not first here because in my notes I have. I'm pretty sure. And this is my. This is maybe my prediction section. My notes just say um, I'm going to have to go with Sean here. So, Sean, what do you what do you have? <laughs> well, I hate to put it this way. I'm, I'm going into sports. Oh, this one because you blew my just... prediction. <laughs> All right. I'm going with Brock Purdy, who's the quarterback for the 49ers, who had three consecutive losses in the middle of the season, and people thought he should be shown the door. And then he's come back as a, as a powerhouse, one of the highest-ranked quarterbacks ever to hold the position. And the thing about Brock Purdy is that every year he gets younger. He's like the Benjamin Button of the NFL. <laughs> He looks like 19 years old all the time. No, I'm kidding. I had had laid my money down on unions. Um, Best comeback story. That's what I thought for sure you were going to bring up. Uh, But I think that's my my biggest comeback story of 2023 is uh, uh, professional and and labor unions. Yes. All right. For all the reasons we've talked about. Continue. So I was going to talk about the consumer's resilience, but that's kind of too abstract. So then I thought, okay, well what really did make a comeback. And I don't know if you guys remembered in October, but do you remember the emergency broadcast that went off on everybody's wireless phones, every single device, every like Mm -hmm. FEMA finally got it together, probably learning that, you know, what they saw happen in Hawaii should not be replicated. And we should figure out how to alert people to things that are actually happening in real time and not just have the bars on TV as, as your sole indicator. So I, I was, I was happy to see that we were bringing back some level of, awareness, you know, whatever, just distributing information in real time. But I think we need to go a step further now and have a lot more predictive sensors and technology that's out there. So you don't need human intervention to trigger, you know, a broadcast like this, which might have been part of the problem in Wowie. So, so I I feel that's dangerous. That's dangerous, though. I mean, I I know what you're saying, and I don't disagree. But the the false positives on a (laughs) emergency uh, alert could be pretty tragic. So maybe you need triangulation and maybe you need a decision maker in the end, but yeah. I would want heat sensors all around yeah. like the Valley. If like someplace got like untenably hot, something's yes. wrong, right? It's like, you know, you should probably know about Even it. Even just say on the electrical uh, poles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, right. 
<laughs> well, you know, I was I was in Hawaii. Gosh, now it's what like five or six years ago, when at seven o'clock in the morning I got an alert on my phone saying incoming missile strike. What? Please take shelter. You're kidding. Yes, the the Hawaiian they were testing the Hawaiian national broadcast grid with a message that incoming missile attack. Please take shelter. And I went down to the lobby in the hotel and said, where do we take shelter for the missile attack? <laughs> and everyone was yeah. walking around the lobby of the hotel yeah. trying to figure, do we go to the basement or what do we do? Um, and that was just accidental. Someone pressed play and it went out. All right. So triangulation, <laughs> like some amount of human intervention, and hopefully a yeah. lot less semen error. But, but no, I yeah. do think we need a lot more sensors. Just uh, we need a lot more technology reporting the facts to us about what is happening, especially in this age of climate conditions, which I'll just say that. So as not to trigger people. And we've got to bury the electrical yeah. lines. Yes. Come on, people. Dig a hole in the ground, put the lines in the hole. You I agree that with that. You should put that in a t-shirt, Sean. <laughs> people, dig a hole in the ground, put the lines in the hole. Put the lines in the hole. Um, all right. So earlier we had talked about how, uh, not earlier in this podcast, just earlier between us, because, you know, that's how we roll. Um, we had talked about how Forbes... That being on the cover of Forbes uh, is a precursor to being arrested. So it's an early, early warning, warning system. system. So who do we think is the most likely to do a, to do a perp walk uh, from the collect collection of 2023 Forbes uh, cover models? Oh, I don't have the cover models with me here. Do well, you, you might there? like do mine. You? So I'll give you, I'll, I'll do my, so mine is from the October uh, 2023 uh, Forbes. Mark Zuckerberg, that's in my fantasy land, is that he knowingly monetized underage users of Instagram, knowing full well they were at greater risk of depression and suicide. Um, to me, that is criminal. I would love for, I mean, maybe he throws someone else under the bus, but I want to see someone go down for that. Was George Santos ever on the cover of Forbes? <laughs> yes, uh, every every which, month. Which every month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah who is going to be the villain of 2024 if you take politics out of it because so much of next year is yeah. going to be around the presidential election that we won't even get a chance to yeah to that's breathe. going to suck up all the air it's a really great year to do terrible things though and maybe no one will notice right because you have you have a smoke screen of the <laughs> right. entire presidential race and all the other surrounding politics any 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 other predictions uh uh perp walk doesn't have to be a forbes cover model so I, I think you're going to end up with, this is more in the abstract. Um, I think you're going to end up with a lot of people that are fiduciaries on boards that are going to end up getting fined, if not like, you know, presented with criminal charges because so, so I was looking into the Binance board, right? And little did I know they had a global advisory board where they're probably not fiduciaries at all. Right. And it's led by Max. So Marcus, once you say advisory, and right, they're not China. fiduciaries. Yeah. They're not fiduciaries, right? But, but also, I don't exactly understand how they're organized because this is Binance US versus Binance, but this was a global advisory board. So I was like, okay, who is a director on the Binance board? And how could they not have known that they were violating the know your customer laws? Like, how could you not know? It's like billions of dollars. Not to mention the settlement is billions of dollars. So that's a lot of capital that's just walked out yep. the door, right? Value of the company gone. And I couldn't figure it out. And that just led me to think there are a bunch of well-funded unicorn companies that have gone public and a bunch of thinly traded small float um, public companies in the United States where I, I think if the government got serious about scrutinizing governance and governance related failures, you're going to see a lot more people get in trouble. 
because they don't know what they're doing. I, I don't think a lot of people understand the requirements of being a fiduciary and what the responsibilities are mm-hmm. and what that means when you discover that something very unethical is happening. And, and yeah, the whole open AI board debacle is a whole other thing because I don't think it's about that. So I just want to make sure I separate those. But yeah. No, I don't think that's a that that was not a fiduciary issue. Yeah, I agree. The, the huge governance issues, huge governance issues. That there. was a communication breakdown. Yes. Well, I'm thinking maybe 2024 is the year when you know, we talk about the government. Now, perhaps because of the election year, it's difficult to get energy around federal action. But someone's got to be taking a look at that structure of Amazon. Uh, yeah, there's that. You know, it is, that vertical integration is so pronounced, you know, and um, I think that gives them exceeding power in the marketplace to, to, to change uh, to change the table. So um, at some point, I think the government's really going to have to take, you know, they took all the time to blow up the Bell Company back in the 70s. And they took the time to break up the railroads in the newspapers back in the early nineteen early 1900s. So I think Amazon's next. Yeah. So uh, full, full disclosure as an Amazon stockholder, um, I don't think anything, I can't think of anything that actually might have a more positive impact on my returns yeah. than yep. them spinning on AWS at least. <laughs> That's going to be the most valuable right. company in the world. <laughs> you know, especially when they're not tethered down to the anchor that is, you know, kind of online retail sales. Mm-hmm. All right. So is it evil of me to wish that one of the Sacklers that's going on for block, in particular, the one who is in charge for a lot of the decision? Is it? Yeah, I, I something needs to be done. It's it's so I don't understand. I, I understand why that settlement happened. Just like I understand why, you know, some DA in Florida once gave let Epstein off, but I don't understand how it persists, right? Like it's they've seen the backlash, they've seen the reaction, they've seen more evidence since making these deals. We should revisit. So I don't know what's happening with the Supreme Court, but I'm gonna try to have faith in it. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, I'm not laughing at that. Try. Every time I jump to the next topic, I giggle. Cause uh uh and so, because this one, I think we might all have a similar answer, and I'll be shocked if, if well, they'll be tied, I think they'll be tied together if we don't have the exact same answer. So, worst career move of 2023, and I'm just going to start, um, y- yes, so I'm- We're all going to say Linda Yaccarino, is that what we're going to start Okay, with? I'm going to say though, Linda Yaccarino, not for necessarily going to X, because I can understand why it might have been appealing from the outside, but for staying, for choosing to stay- yeah. And trust me, it was a tie between Vivek Ramaswamy, Linda Yaccarino, and I want to know what Susan Wojcicki is going to do next because I want her to come back on some scene and like revitalize some part of like the entertainment industry. So, worst career move is probably her exiting, but I mean, good for her. She, she probably deserves a break. She's earned it for sure. I think Bob Iger's on that list. Yeah, you've you've mentioned that before. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah I agree with that. Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah, retirement is really nice if you can survive it. And yeah, everybody loved Bob and he had a great legacy. And now we'll see if he can keep it shiny. Exactly. Yeah, I agree with that. Exactly. And I think he's not going to keep it shiny, to be honest. It's going to be a tough road to hoe for Disney. The best thing he said recently, oh, though, is maybe there, we made too many superhero still, movies. Yep. You think? 43 you Marvel think? movies were made like last year or something crazy like that. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that was an easy right. one. Didn't, there's right. no debate involved. Lindy right. Eccarino, sold. All right. Uh, crazy celebrity story of 2023. I'll, I'll kick this off. I didn't really realize before this year that Brad Pitt really is the worst person in the world. 
What now? What did he do? I mean, he's doing things regularly, like Carlos Santana recently. Oh, just all the me, stuff but yeah, that's what coming out Brad? from their divorce that's getting leaked, and just like, you know, all the kids are basically on social media saying, you know, he's the worst person in the world. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and yeah, um, I'm like, really? Because you have no reason to be angry. Did, yeah. You know, like worst that ever. What are you angry yeah. about, Brad Pitt? That's what I want to know. My favorite celebrity story is Taylor and Kelsey. I think that's a fantastic love story, and I'm not even a Taylor Swift fan or a Kansas City Chiefs fan, but um, I enjoy seeing them. I enjoy the energy, and I really respect Taylor Swift because one day last year, yep. she put out a tweet yep. and got something like 40,000 people to register yep. to vote. Yep. That is power. No, I, I actually, I have a lot of respect for Taylor Swift as a business person and a leader, and I think she stays out of scandals. You know, I think the whole mm-hmm. concert film thing, um, you know, most people mm-hmm. can't afford to go to her shows, nor can they just get a ticket. Let's be clear. Most people just will not be able to get a ticket, nor yep. can they afford to yep. go to the shows. So this, you know, like I know she did it for the money in some sense, but I, I have to believe knowing her that she also said, I need to create a way where, you know, a bunch of little girls can go come see my show that they wouldn't otherwise be able to do that. Uh, and that she basically, right. you know, yep. wielded power over what's left of the, you know, theater. <laughs> industry to to make that happen too You're like she's she's pretty amazing i mean regardless of what you think of her music positive whatever i don't i'm not even incorporating any of that into this discussion i just think that she's she's to your point sean she's shown a, a at least you know a bent towards social good and i think has a pretty strong respect for the people who are funding yep. her lifestyle she reminds me a lot of dolly parton that way yeah two powerful women in entertainment doing the right thing well, that's another crazy celebrity story from a few weeks here. The the like yep. why is anybody mad that Dolly Parton, you know, wore her Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders outfit? I mean, I don't know. Why are they but mad about it? There are people it? who are like, "Oh, you should like you know, at your age you should have more respect." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" I was like, "How old is Dolly?" Huh, my bar just went a little higher. Well, you know. It's a costume. I guess people felt that a 77-year-old woman shouldn't be wearing a Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders outfit. But if I can say it, she was smoking. Yeah, she looked great. Yeah, she looked great. She looked great. She looked healthy. You know, she looked fit. Yeah. yeah. She was good. Okay, so I don't have one crazy celebrity story, but I find it remarkable how many people, including the MLB and F1, are getting sued for the clawback on FTX funds. So, and I think I think it needs to happen. And you guys like Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank, who like willingly said... I mean, defended Sam Bankman-Fried after he got arrested saying, oh, I want to wait to see like how it all sorts out. And everyone's like, dude, like you've got John Rayan, they're telling you it's theft, right? It's embezzlement. It's like pretty, and you know, still stood by it. So I, I still think there are going to be more reputations to get tarnished. And, you know, if you have power like Taylor Swift, you shouldn't throw it around, you know, so casually, which she was one of the people that got, she made the right business decisions. She, her team said, can you tell me these are not unregistered securities? And SBF's team said, no, yeah. we can't. She's like, see ya. Yeah, it's good so. to have good people around you too. Smart. Yeah. All right, so what technology jumped the shark in 2023? It's I have a toss-up for this one, but go ahead. Air fryer. <laughs> it's like the Instapot. <laughs> oh, interesting. I've never owned one. so Definitely air fryer, jump shark. Maybe it's a good time to pick one up. Huh? We have one. We don't do anything with it. I, you know, I, I know I have siblings who who would uh, 
who disagree and that, that swear by the air fryer. I've never used one. It was really my best friend during pandemic. And now I just stay away from it. Yeah. That's how I feel about my yep. instant pot. Uh, well, the way I was, I was doing a, the tie again between Web3 and the metaverse, but you know, you guys have something that's way more relevant to most people's lives at this point. I'm making it real, dude. Yeah. All right. I'll buy that. All right. We've reached, Anju, your favorite, the, the, our, our final category, institutional failures. Uh-huh. I have a list. I have a list. Yeah. There's so much naughty on this list, man. I can't even like, I, I didn't even have to think hard about this. So yeah. we went through the banks, right? SVB, First Republic, there are others. Um, the OpenAI board that dismissed Sam Altman without fully investigating or doing the game theory around it. Cruise, SF, and the city of San Francisco for allowing Cruise to be there. Credit Suisse, which for years has been rocked by scandals, but oh my God, the Binance invest, the investors behind Binance and FTX, and we don't want to get political on the show, but I think the Democrats and the Republicans have both had massive institutional failures. And I can use just one fact to, to talk about that, which is I fundamentally believe in a time period where so much has changed in the world around us and so much has changed in the United States and the, the temperament of your citizens is what it is, their best choices were to stay the course with who was popular the last go around, that's disappointing. So, you know, I, I think we need better succession planning in both parties and we probably need to like recast what the parties do. So yeah, that's my list. We need term limits, right? We have no bench. There's no bench being yeah. built, right? Everyone's just, you know, uh, slowly uh, yeah. s- sliding into the Hall of Fame status. Well, and when you get a guy like Vivek Ramaswamy entering the scene just because he made his money doing something and isn't even, by the way, well-liked by anybody that knows him, that tells you, like, it's broken, right? You need people that are qualified to be a public servant, not people that just want to be, you know, in front of an audience. And he likes vanilla ice, so that just goes to show. Yeah, yeah there yeah. you go. Um uh, I just have basically, and we've <laughs> talked about this in, on this episode as well, but my big institutional failure is the continued uh, impotence of the U.S. government in dealing with monopolies, basically threats from those monopolies in technology. They just don't understand it. And they, they pick the wrong issues, generally speaking. Um, Every time. I hope that we've gone past the yardstick of whether consumers pay more or less as the determinant of whether the monopoly is bad. That's the only criteria I've ever seen like right. brought up. And that's like, well, there's a lot of other issues that are resultant from these monopolies that are way more threatening to democracy. Um, yeah. So, I, so that. So, you know, on that note, I feel like the hoarding of compute resources, <laughs> which I can't call hoarding yep. because, you know, capitalist companies going to do what a capitalist company does, right? You know, they're going to go and buy, but it, it's a problem. It's a real problem. And she almost made my list, but I'm hopeful that she will turn it around and make her impact because I think in theory she should be Lena Khan. Like, you know, she stepped into a role. We were all so excited that she would bring some scrutiny to the world around her. I don't know what is going on. I I mean, it takes a long time to build a case, but clock's running out. Yeah. Well, I wasn't going to name her. I wasn't going to name her specifically, but yes. Well, no, I, I mean, because she came in with so much promise and she did the interviews, right? She went out there and she said, and, you know, she interviewed with Kara Swisher only like six months ago, eight months ago, defending, you know, what she's been trying to do. And it's like, come on, like, there's so much, it's like, there's so much low hanging fruit to go after. <laughs> it's just. I, I will quote, I will quote Yoda and or Mr. Miyagi. 
Just do both. <laughs> Which is um, uh, do or not do. There is no try. try. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. Well, I think my institutional failure, and I hate to be the sports guy on the, on the show today, but I guess that's what spending yesterday with my college friends did to me. But did you see that Texas A&M fired Jimbo Fisher the head football coach at Texas. I, why? I didn't. I can't say that it even like was in orbit around me. So, bad season. You know, they okay. got rid of him. His buyout was $77 million. <laughs> what? <laughs> Jimbo Fisher walked away after getting fired for having a terrible team with 77. That'll take the edge off. I mean, he's having a good weekend, I'm sure. Wow. But the price, I saw a chart listing the highest paid employees of the University of California system. That includes all the UC schools here. Yeah. The highest paid individual in the UC system is Chip Kelly, the head football coach at UCLA, $4 million a year. The money that's going into this yeah. collegiate athletic yeah. sphere, I think, is an institutional failure for education. Oh, I agree with that. Tough to argue. Without a doubt. Yeah, tough to argue with that. Now, we, here we are, the end of 2023. Hey, hey, we survived. And now we're looking at 2024. What's going to be our... FTX moment for 2024. Oh, right. I think 2024 will see the slowdown of the inf- of the energy around the whole concept of autonomous driving. I think that has sucked up a lot of energy of the last few years, a lot of companies fishing at it. Again, it's a problem that doesn't need solving per se in my book. The most promising thing I saw in the autonomous driving field was a few years ago where a Japanese company had come up with an autonomous driving wheelchair Yep. for mm-hmm. people who don't have use of their limbs. That makes sense to me that the chair can take me across the apartment without me you know, driving with my tongue or with, yeah. my, or with my useful hand. Autonomous driving cars, I just don't see the market need or the, the scalability of it to ever work in my lifetime. And I think next year we'll start to see the fires cool on that one. I mean, I'm a long-term bull on autonomous vehicles, provided they are in, it's binary, right? It's either all autonomous or it's not. And the system and the infrastructure has been set up for it. Then I think it makes sense. Like in closed campuses, I think it makes a lot of sense, right? Rather than having- I'm going to throw the word networked in there. I don't think they'll work until they're autonomous and, and networked. And and I think what that looks like, 15 years from now, there would be a deadline and to say, you can't have your old car on the road. You keep your fingers off my 77 Impala, Justin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think my- FTX and 2024 story is, it's not a specific company, but I think it's very likely that election fraud occurs. I think it's very likely enabled by at least a couple of tech companies and social media companies that are in the mix. And I think what could be really interesting is if that gets discovered, do you have an Alex Jones-like class action lawsuit of the citizens versus blah, blah, blah company because you actually enabled election fraud and we ended up with four years that we didn't, wouldn't otherwise have. I think- it's unlikely to all happen in 2024, but I think that future is somewhere out there, sadly. Yeah. I also think um, the future of platform companies not being regulated as publishers. Well, I, I did that in short form. What is it? 230? Section yeah, 230? Yeah. I, I think that needs to be revisited. I think they have a huge social responsibility and we should start acting like it. So uh, I didn't really have an answer to this question, but you kind of led me to something that I've been thinking about, like, what the extension of Section 230 is, if you say, as mm-hmm. a publisher, we're not a publisher, we don't do editorial, therefore we can't be held liable for the stuff that gets passed around in a network. Well, why don't we then do class action suing everyone who forwarded something that was untrue? Hmm. Like, you are responsible. As soon as you 
You know, like, okay, well, then your users are responsible. And we hold them accountable. We hold people accountable for spreading disinformation and misinformation. Well, and people just stop using. Yes. 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 Which, okay. All right. Now, and, and I'm not saying violate anyone's free speech rights. I'm, I'm just not. I'm, I'm talking about, like, if you were, there, we have definitions of what libel is. Yeah, yeah. And, and it is not enforced online. It's just simply not enforced in social media. So I don't think... I don't think that's going to last forever. It's just, it's not possible. So my point is like, if you have been libeled, yeah. you have every right to subpoena Facebook for the names of everybody who forwarded that information. Oh my God. Can you see Trump suing every tech company in like the United States? <laughs> sure. It's all fake news. I swear. It's fake. They're just making it up. Litigate it. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? If he's responsible for Meta's legal fees, when it's found that his case is fraudulent or frivolous, or he loses, then he'll not do that. He'll just appeal. Forever. <laughs> Forever. Yeah. So, I mean, but, it, you know, that's where I would say that's, that's the FTX moment is that users of social media start to get held accountable for their irresponsible BS. Well, so how far of a stretch is that to the Alex Jones situation? I mean, he's a creator of media, right? But he's... It's not like he owns a platform. He has a show. Everybody who forwarded on his misinformation about Sandy Oh, Hook. you're saying his, his fans. Okay. Well, as yeah. soon as they, I'm not saying that they read it. I'm saying if they forward it, you promoted it. You are an editor now. This is your media platform and you are an editor. If we believe, which I don't really believe this whole Facebook, I'm not an editor, then you can't have an algorithm. Your algorithm is an editor. As soon as you're promoting one piece of content over another you're an editor you are yep. you should ha be under the same um legal constraints as the new york times do you guys remember in may the the fake photo of the pentagon being under attack no going out i think it happened over a weekend and it was um it looked like there was an explosion and it was completely fake it, it went viral and it was this fake image and you know there's a hiccup in the market that resulted from it but yeah i mean the fact that it was even on a variety of platforms which i won't name it's kind of stunning. It's just like, don't you guys scrutinize your images? It doesn't even look right. So yeah, I mean, there's got to be responsibility. Somewhere. I think you make a great point because 2024 could be the election year that really deep fake becomes a thing. Yep. Oh, it for sure. And it will. There I are think. multiple, multiple. And it's getting better and better all the time. And there are multiple yeah. foreign entities who have an axe to grind. The brilliant thing about those foreign entities is they just hand us the axe and let us grind ourselves. Here. Americans. I know, right? That's so true. That is so true. This is my last prediction of this podcast is that this episode <laughs> next year is going to suck. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Transpose. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. And if anyone out there knows how to free an AI-generated disembodied voice from indentured servitude to these overpaid jackasses, please, please help me. They are just too stupid for words, yet words are all I have. Until next time. Goodbye.